Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, August 8th. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone, and happy sneak some zucchini into your neighbor's porch day. You're probably like, what in the heck is that, Eric? But it's a silly little thing I discovered three years ago, thanks to the alerts I get from the National Calendar Day, um, dot com or their... They send email alerts every night, and uh, some of them are very comical. Some of them are useful, and uh, we produce content around them. That's great stuff. But uh, since learning about this day, I do indeed sneak zucchini into my neighbor's porch. Uh, no, I don't plan in advance for this. It just happens. I forget this day exists, honestly, until I get that email from National Calendar Day, and then I just happen to have zucchini in the house again. So clutch. Going to be sneaking that on a little bit later this afternoon. So watch out, neighbor. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the little things, right? So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, August 8th, then I hope you are able to pull off sneaking zucchini into your neighbor's porch. If you're listening after the 8th, then well, screw it. Do it anyway, because why not, right? Have some fun. But also, subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications when new episodes drop every week. And while you're at it, if you could leave a review of the show wherever you're listening, I would be forever grateful. Thank you. You can also contact me at podcast at travelpulse.com or call on the hotline for the show 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. Got some comical ones I can't air recently. Um, some interesting calls there. Maybe one day if you leave a little more uh, friendly voicemail there, then I'll, I'll include it on the air here. So we got a great show for you today, though. We're going to be talking big news around the world of travel, as always. And now joining me on the show is Anne Petronio, founder and lead advisor at Shared Adventures Travel. Welcome to the show, Anne. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Eric. I'm happy to be here. I've been a travel advisor for about 17 years, and I now have a team of, of advisors that and admin assistants that work with me, and we largely specialize in honeymoons and other special occasion travel, lots of uh, milestone birthdays, anniversaries, things like that. And being on the East Coast, we sell a lot of Europe. That's great. Yes. And we are going to chat about what is trending in Europe in the Europe travel scene this summer and throughout the year so far, uh, a little bit later in the show. But as we begin with every episode, in case this is your first time listening, we're going to dive first into what has been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with some news about the hurricane season is uh, getting in its full swing, if you will. Uh, the National Hurricane Center is tracking four tropical waves that could disrupt travel in the near future. So big news on that. I mean, the peak time they're looking for is like the um, beginning of September. As we know, September is usually a big month for a lot of past hurricanes that have happened and have devastated a lot of uh, regions and cities and countries over the recent years. So, Anne, how do you handle hurricane season windows uh, when clients come to you wanting to really travel this time, uh, that, that, that time period? Obviously, you know, Europe, not much of a hurricane thought, but I mean, Mexico and the Caribbean, definitely big and trending. And we know that the shoulder season is going to be packed this year as well, too. For sure. Um, and being a honeymoon specialist, that is the time of year that most of my clients are traveling from June to October. So smack in the middle of hurricane season. And really, the conversation always is about risk tolerance. Um, I certainly don't tell people that they shouldn't travel to the tropics during hurricane season. We just need to have a conversation up front about how they feel about the risk of a storm impacting their plans and whether that fear and that dread would really impact the lead up to the trip. And if so, let's choose a destination that doesn't have as high of a risk. But if they are fine with rolling the dice, we just make sure that they've got insurance so that if they are the, the unlucky person headed to a destination at the same time as a storm, we can regroup and either postpone the trip or send them somewhere else. 
definitely got to assess those risks and understand what's going on. And that's why I always say, you know, work with a travel advisor for sure, especially if that is a big concern for you. Uh, September seems to be kind of the month over the last years. If you know that you're you're targeting that, uh, targeting Labor Day weekend, you never really know. Mother Nature is going to do what Mother Nature is going to do. So <laughs> working with that travel advisor is always my, my go-to, which I know a lot of our travel advisor listeners out here uh, have to deal with that sort of stuff too. So great insight there. Jumping along to other trending news in the last week, um, the real ID uh, situation going on for Americans here. Uh, a couple different stories out, out um, in the last week. A new survey from Upgraded Points said that found that many Americans are not prepared for the real ID, and this is what you'll need to have on your license and be able to travel in the future. Uh, and uh, TSA says that travel professionals actually are going to play a key role in helping prepare their clients for the real ID deadline. But uh, And the real ID was supposed to go in May of 2023, and it's been pushed back to 2025. I think it's been pushed back like multiple times now. So I feel like this should be an easy thing for Americans to get done. What are your thoughts on the real ID? Has that come up at all from clients? It does. And I agree. It, it really should be and is an easy thing to get done. Um it's not much different than just getting your license renewed in any other way. You just have some extra paperwork to show. I think the reason people are getting so stuck on it is that the message has been confusing. And the questions that I've been getting from clients, they really seem muddled in their minds about whether the real ID is replacing a passport, which obviously it's not. Um, and that's where the message is getting confusing for them. I've had clients saying to me, when I ask for their passport information, they're saying, oh, oh, I don't need that now. I have my real ID. Do you want that? That's what I'm going to show when I fly to London. And it's oh. I, I have to explain to them, no, no you're not. Still need <laughs> the real ID yeah. is necessary here, but it doesn't replace the passport. And I think that's why it's become so confusing. Travelers are not getting getting the distinction. Yeah, that's a, that's a struggle. There, Maybe the, the uh, Department of Transportation, good old Pete. Uh, we give shout outs to Pete on the pod a lot. So uh, get, get get that going, man. I don't understand <laughs> why it is so perplexing on that, and especially the the confusion with a passport like that. No, you need your passport. Other countries care about your passport. Like real. Yeah. So that uh, we have some time, though. It's not until 2025. <laughs> and honestly, who knows? Maybe it'll get pushed back again. But I feel like I see mm -hmm. the signs every time you go to the airport and it's already on my ID. Many states already have this um, if you got a new ID recently. So yeah, you might just have to hit up the DMV. You might have to yeah, get a new license if you don't have it on there, but it shouldn't be too difficult. No. Uh, another thing that is, uh, one thing that is easy for Americans, though, is uh, spending money and spending money on travel. Travel prices are at record highs, as we know, with inflation has been booming over the last year, but consumers continue spending and spending more, obviously. The Consumer Travel Spend Priorities Report from Amadeus. Uh, travelers also indicated that they anticipate spending more on pursuing international travel during the next 12 months, with an average expected spend amount of $3,422. That's an increase of $753 per consumer, or 28%, compared to last year. And according to TicketLens, the top five countries where prices on attractions and guided tours have increased the most are Turkey, Ireland, United Kingdom, Poland, and Hungary. Uh, the U.S. came in at number 15 on that list. So we know that consumers are spending more and the traveler fears are dropping as well, according to Global Rescue's July Traveler Sentiment and Safety Survey. You know, it's a stark difference in what uh, concerns travelers these days. Uh, pricing is up there for sure, but COVID's no longer a major worry. Uh, concerns about traveling to a country with civil unrest or potential for terrorism are pretty much lead the way along with pricing. But 
Anne, are, are you finding that clients aren't letting any price hikes or other fears really impact their decisions or, or is pricing still a concern for some? I have not found pricing to be a concern in at all since COVID. I think there's still so much pent up demand and people feel they deserve to travel and they and they deserve to leave the country and travel internationally. And I have not had pushback about pricing. I've had people comment and note that, wow, the airfares are up higher this year. Hotels are more expensive this year, but they're still shelling out for that trip. And I feel they've, they've actually been spending more than they would have in previous years because there's that worry that, hey, the world could close down again, God forbid, uh, you know, in an, in another <laughs> sudden episode. And we want to get that travel in now. We have a long, a long bucket list to get through. The fears I've been hearing have been much more related to uh, the wildfires, uh, the heat, the incredible heat uh, this summer in so many parts of the world, lost bags, the, the airplane snafus that have been happening. Those have been the fears top of mind with my clients, not finances. It, that's good news for you and your business, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's a concern for some out there, but uh, really, it's not slowing down uh, on things. Um, ho- hopefully, we'll see a bit of... Um, price decrease on um, flights coming up as the shoulder season is around us, although we know that shoulder season it won't be the traditional one. Uh, there's still going to be a lot of people traveling. Uh, domestic flights, I think, are going to cut. There was a report from Hopper about that, that those are going to um, airfare prices in the U.S. Will, will drop for flights. But if you still want to travel internationally, you're you're going to be you know cutting into that bank account a little bit more than years past for sure on that. But um, high prices and the boom of travelers have led U.S. airlines to see record profits so far in 2023. All their Q2 numbers were like through the roof, a lot of record profits, uh, record earnings. So for more insights on those numbers, you can check out our report on TravelPulse.com on uh, where major U.S. airlines stand financially this summer. But, you know, they're doing pretty well on that. And the American consumer, you know, has a right to be concerned about things with the airline and the snafus and, you know, because they're paying so much money to fly these days. In other air travel news, proposed legislation is a threat to airline rewards points, says A4A. So according to them, the Credit Card Competition Act would eliminate consumer choice over which network credit transactions are routed, and the legislation would increase the cost associated with participating in these rewards programs, end quote. So, and points and miles, I mean, they're huge in travel. I know I just cashed in on some points and I felt so good. It felt so nice, you know? <laughs> uh, so what are, what are your thoughts on uh, this proposed legislation? Do you... Do, uh, uh, clients come to you often wanting to use points? You know, it's interesting. I, I feel as though the clients that really want to use points and are really, you know, devoted travel hackers that really live by their points and their miles are less likely to come to travel agents because they're pretty good at figuring it out on their own and they're used to cashing in those points themselves directly with the airlines and the hotels. The clients that come to me, uh, they'll sometimes mention points or miles, but they often, they're not experienced miles users. And what they think they have mm. in terms of miles is not really going to get them much. You know, they think they have a lot and and we explore it and then they realize it's, it's not even going to get them one ticket. So they end up holding on to those miles for something else and, uh, you know, just working with an agent in a traditional way and, and paying cash. So I, I don't know that a change in how to use your miles and how expensive it is to use your miles will impact travel agents greatly unless they are those very specialized agencies that do help consumers with maximizing their miles and points. Um, but I think for the standard um, 
you know, basic everyday travel agent, it's not, I don't think it's going to make a big impact. Yeah, it's more for the, for the actual consumer. And uh, I think more so for the frequent flyer who like is devoted to those points and, and hacking that stuff, like you mentioned. So the Federal Reserve estimates that 84% of all Americans who have a credit card have one tied to a loyalty points program. And yeah, they're going to be using it on travel. As we discussed earlier, the pent up demand is there and a lot of people cash in on that. I've actually cashed in twice this year. I didn't at all last year, let it build up a little bit. And uh, finally, uh, broke in and, and cashed them. Got a um, trip to Michigan to see some family. And then I got a, a little mini vacation uh, with some family to Vegas later on. And it's it's so nice to just cash that in and, and not have a worry. I personally, I, I hope that, you know, this legislation doesn't go. I don't want to see an increased cost. I don't want to, I don't want it to be harder for me to build up those points. Uh, I want to hit higher uh, numbers on that and then, you know, be able to really spend big somewhere, you know, dream wise, like a New Zealand trip or something that's going to cost an arm and a leg, but you know, I'll just drop points on that. So that's what I'm currently saving for now, but uh, we'll see if I ever get there, honestly, because the spontaneous little weekend getaway things pop up and it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll spend 50,000 points and go fly, take my family to fly to XYZ destination or whatever. Cause it, it, why not? You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause that could be a whole other discussion about, do you, do you use those miles in those quickie little trips or do you save them up and bank them? And like you said, save them for like a big trip you're, you're waiting on. I just used a bunch of miles to go to Thailand in June and it felt so good not to pay for that myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, we could get technical and like how much money was spent to accumulate these miles or whatever, but why, why, why bother? Right. Like just focus exactly. on the good and the now and how good it feels to not see your bank account decrease as you uh, just got a flight booked. So always, Absolutely. always positive on that. So what say you, uh, listener out there, podcast at travelpulse.com is the email. You can reach out and let me know your thoughts on that or any of the news that we discussed. Uh, we couldn't get to everything as there is a, always a lot of news. You can check out more travelpulse.com. That wraps up what was trending in travel. So hit me up with any additional thoughts there. Now we're going to jump over to our theme of the week on what's trending in European travel scene and and so Europe travel in 2023 what do you see as trending what's standing out to you the most right now I would say the biggest story for me this year was the incredible increase in travel to Italy uh, and I was hearing that from other agents too it truly felt as though everybody in the world went to Italy this year to the point that there was no more availability for tours and hotels and and it felt as though you could not jam one more person into Rome this summer um, and the the Italy increase sort of tied into some of the other big trends that everyone was hearing about. It's crowded, it's hot, um, it's expensive. You know, all those things showed up in the Italy travel as well because people were finding all of those things on those trips. Yeah, good for Italy. They, they struggled really, <laughs> really um, uh, a lot, you know, in the early pandemic there. Uh, one of the first few countries that took a major hit on that. So great that it's bouncing back. Um, yeah, the big crowds can be difficult. One of my coworkers actually is in Italy now. And uh, honestly, that's the White Lotus effect too. That that show on HBO was uh, a big trend um, for, for Italy, for sure. Um, and yeah, the, the heat, the uh, there's also been some strikes going on, but big crowds really is just the, the bounce back of Europe. I know that's increased uh, in pricing as well. I'm sure you've seen a little bit of that. Uh, so CoStar, the parent company of hotel industry analysis firm STR, they reported that room rates for Europe hotels averaged $148.88 in the first half of this year, which is up nearly 14% from last year, uh, while U.S. hotels just rose only 6%. So obviously a lot more people, you know, jumping over to Europe and 
Uh, I feel like I've seen it on social media too. It's always like, how, how are people affording this? And all, the, all those sort of jokes and everything. <laughs> I'm like, well, some people are probably cashing in those points like we discussed earlier. Well, and, and the increased crowds led to weird things that I've not run into before, like people saying that there was not a taxi to be found in, in Florence or Venice, well, not Venice, Rome, um, cities where that was never an issue to say, you know, hey, you can just have the hotel call you a taxi to go to your dinner tomorrow night or to your tour. And it was like, nope, no taxis to be had. And people were hoofing it across the city or having to scramble. Rough, rough times. <laughs> right. In perspective, though, in perspective, for sure. Right. So, yeah, right. Get a little more exercise in walking in, adjust your plans. But that's part of travel. You know, you got to adjust on the fly and uh, be flexible. And uh, flexibility is key for sure. So, mm-hmm. so we also got to talk about the new entry fee for Europe that's coming in 2024. So the EU Travel Information and Authorization System or ETIAS or I, I read that a lot and I'm like, how should I pronounce that? ETIS or I'm just going to say ETIAS for short. But anyway, it's this application fee that you're going to have to do. It's, it's going to be costing seven euros, which is a little less than $8. So has this come up from your clients much at all? I know it's made the media rounds. We've, we've written about it a number of times. It was supposed to launch this year in 23, but I got pushed back much like, you know, the real ID situation. It got pushed back and many wonder it's supposed to launch January of 2024, but it potentially could get pushed back again, but I know it made national media rounds a couple weeks ago uh, and ad not, I mean, was so many different posts about this. And I was like, we, where you guys been? Like, we've been writing about this for months, but whatever, whatever national media. <laughs> so has that come up much from your clients, uh, especially since it did kind of make the, the national uh, news outlets in the last uh, couple weeks? It has, it has come up. And I can definitely tell that it's been in the national media because you get a wave of questions every time it seems to come up in the media. And people have been confused thinking it's already in place. And so I've had people saying, oh my gosh, how do I get this visa that I need to get? Or, you know, I I didn't see the website where I'm supposed to do that. And how long does the process take? And I think the biggest thing I'm combating is trying to explain to them it's not a visa. And that once they have visa in their minds, they think it's all this paperwork they have to go through. Like when you need a visa, you know, for other countries and, and it's, trying to crystallize in their minds that it's just a quick little online thing that once you do once, it's good for a couple of years. It's not expensive. It's almost an immediate uh, approval. And I'm trying to get clients to think of it kind of like the various hoops we had to jump through during COVID where we needed an extra layer of, hey, you still have to do this approval for this country and show that you've been vaccinated or you need to do this one extra form for this country so that they can track you while you're there in case they need to do some contact tracing for COVID. It's just another step. It's a procedural thing. Don't get tied up in it being this great big hoop you have to jump through. Right. Yeah. It's not going to be too difficult, especially for anyone working with a travel advisor. This should be pretty seamless for your European vacation. But if you're trying to do it on your own and you're not aware of this or you're confused, then yeah, I, th- I think people are going to get there and realize, oh no, you know, there's going to be those moments from some some of those people. But again, that's why we always say work with a travel advisor because this should just be, you know, pretty simple, pretty straightforward uh, on what you need. It's going to be not too difficult of a process and it's going to cost you less than, you know, a chicken sandwich somewhere. So. Right. Well, well, we'll see how many people are showing up with their real ID instead of their passport yeah. and they haven't done the ETIAs. <laughs> right. Oh, good luck to those folks. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but as we talk, you know, about Europe and what's trending and we touched on this briefly uh, so far, but I w- want to dive more into it. You know, is Europe becoming too popular? Over tourism is kind of back as a big concern. I mean, that really went away in the pandemic, obviously. And 
I think people thought that it would take a while before, you know, the, the over-tourism trend or phrase would pop back up um, worldwide. But I mean, certainly some destinations have been hit really hard with it. I mean, UNESCO came out in, last week and they're recommending to add Venice to the World Heritage Sites in Danger list. So it's it's a concern for sure. Uh, but uh, people are not slowing down. People still want to visit Venice. It's on the bucket list for a lot of people. But it's uh, it's it, it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. And I think that even for the people that aren't as worried about what it's doing to the destination, we have to appeal to their their selfish side and say, you're not going to enjoy your time there as much if it's so crowded and so busy that you can't really uh, enjoy, let's say, Venice the way you would like to. And it's not just Venice, as you said, it's Dubrovnik, it's Athens and the way they're cutting back on the number of visitors to the Acropolis in a day. And I think more and more destinations are going to have to start setting these limits because they just can't continue the way they've been as overwhelmed with tourists. And I think for travelers, what I'm trying to encourage them to do is if you must go to Athens you know, don't go in July and August, go in and off time when the crowds will be lower and you're going to have a more pleasant time and you won't be impacting the destination quite as much. Or if, if you can think outside the box and instead of doing the same, you know, instead of going to Italy and doing Rome, Florence, Venice, like everybody else do some other destinations within that country that are just as beautiful and just are not as top of mind with people. Don't go to Florence, go to Bologna. Um, I love Bologna and I, and it's never as crowded as, as Florence. Don't go to Capri, go to Ischia, you know, choose places where you can have a similar experience, but in a place where it's just not as overwhelmed with crowds. Yeah. And that's a point that the travel advisors have to emphasize or just at least bring up, I think, because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have lots of crowds in these big giant destinations. I mean, even Amsterdam is, you know, curbing, uh, cruising a little bit there uh, and changing things in the red light district and trying to, you know, reshape all, all that stuff. So there's other plenty of destinations that, you know, they're great to visit for sure. But again, like you said, you got to pick the right time if a crowd is going to be that big of a concern for you. Cause some people, right. they don't mind. They're okay. You know, they, they want to do it. This is what they've saved for. This is what their bucket list or life list, if you will, is and they'll they'll deal with it but other people you know they'll come back and they'll just immediately start complaining about the crowds and it's like well did did you prepare did you research did you did you know you know because you probably yeah right well and i'm trying to i'm trying to help people think outside of you know the the same old places and and i'm trying to plant those ideas of well hey if everyone's going to portugal and you love the idea of portugal you know go to the azores go to the islands that are not as crowded and you'll have a lovely time and you get you get to come back and say, oh, I went someplace that not everybody else went this summer or or choose a different part of Europe entirely. I'm traveling next week to Denmark and Sweden because I don't want to be in all the crowds. I want to be, you know, in a place that's that's not over touristed yet. And then I want to come back and tell all my clients, hey, you need to go there. Copenhagen was beautiful. Definitely. Yeah, the weather should be a little bit nicer there, too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So any we talked to I've mentioned a few here on some of these underrated sections. Any other underrated destinations that people just aren't really traveling to enough in Europe that uh, have, are standing out to you? Yeah, um, I've been trying to steer people towards, like I said, some of the islands, mm-hmm. Azores, Canary Islands. Um, I've been trying to steer them more towards Eastern Europe. I mean, I love Poland and that's sort of a sleeper, but there's tons you can see there and it's not very touristed yet. Um, one of the ones that's big on my list that again is, is not 
and over-touristed. It's sort of an under-the-radar is Malta. That's going to be one of the next ones that I get myself to. I just I want people to be creative and not just keep going to this, the same countries that all their friends went to. Like, go to some new places. Definitely. I mean, it's hard. The, the, the social media FOMO gets a lot of people out there, for <laughs> sure. They want those, you know, iconic pics and, you know, the, the very touristy spots. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think people should, you know, especially Europe, you know, it's so easy to get around like mix in some something different if you if you know if paris is your go-to or you know uh you really really want to hit barcelona or, or something like that you know hit it or hit rome for a day or whatever and you know say that you went there because that's what you wanted to do but you know explore other areas inside those countries because you're gonna open yourself to you know so much uh great memories and and a lot of exciting and maybe you know get some uh, your own followers FOMO on like well i never knew of this place where was that at it's well off the beaten path you gotta you gotta explore more you know that's right. Start the next trend. Exactly. I love that. So uh, speaking of trend, um, Paris, and I mentioned Paris, uh, the Olympics 2024, it's coming up, coming fast. So people need to get booking on that like yesterday. Am I right? Is it, is it going? Are you getting inquiries for that a little bit? I agree they would have to be booking yesterday. And I really have not been getting inquiries. I've been getting the opposite where people are saying, Paris is on my list, but I'm not going to go next year because of the Olympics. So let's do something else and do Paris when it's not packed, which unless you're a huge Olympics fan, I think that's really the smart way to do it. Don't go to the destination when everybody else is going to be there for this big event that's going to tax all the, you know, infrastructure, Um, you know, save, save that for another time, unless you're specifically going there for the Olympics. Right. Yeah. It's uh, July 26, 2024 through August 11th, 2024 is the uh, 2024 summer Olympic games in Paris. Uh, as they say, uh, it should be a fun time. I mean, I, I think I'm a big Olympics fan. I love them. I, I love watching them on TV, to be honest, because the giant crowds. Uh, I'm not. I'm not too keen on that. Would I? Would I go for sure? Yeah, I went in Atlanta. I'm based outside of Atlanta, so I went in '96. Had a great time. You know, great core memories. Got some awesome swag still from that. So <laughs> those are great. And if you're a big Olympics fan, then yeah, you really, really need to get going on this. Uh, uh, but do you think there's um there's good incentives you know for for travel advisors to maybe like market around Olympics because I haven't really seen much talk about you know Paris Olympics 2024 other than like you know it's bookings are gonna or prices are gonna be high and you know expect a lot of crowds and stuff like that. What do you think of that? Yeah, I I do think it's something that if if travel advisors have uh, a market for that and they think they you know have clients that would be interested, they should be out there marketing it because. Like you said, I'm not seeing a ton of buzz. I've seen buzz about the event, but not about how to get their travel packages, how to get your tickets, how to lock in your hotel. So if I were an advisor that wanted to sell that, I would definitely be out there marketing it now. And I know that for the official Olympic packages, there's only you know one or two suppliers that have the tickets that you can work through. Um, so I would be allying with one of them and getting out there and doing some promotion for it. Yeah, definitely get on that and be proactive if that's something you feel that you know, you've got some athletic clients that could be intrigued. Plus, you know, a, a being attached to, to Paris yeah, as an iconic destination for sure. So we will actually have a feature out uh, later this week on Paris uh, Olympics and, you know, the packages and how people are, are planning for that on that. So pod, uh, travelpulse.com, check out that feature coming up later this week if that's something that interests you. So, and this this has been great. Um, we got to close here. Uh, what is your advice to travel advisors out there on Europe travel and selling Europe and making bookings and increasing sales and all that good stuff? Lay down the wisdom for our listeners. <laughs> I would say to to get comfortable with the the geography and the and the logistics of traveling from city to city and country to country and 
become really good at that piece of it because that's the piece that travelers are fearful of doing themselves. So many travelers figure they can book a flight and they can book some hotels, but then they get tangled up in the weeds of how to get from A to B to C. And if you're the person that can solve that with trains and ferries and drivers, even if those are not the pieces that make you a lot of money, they're the piece that will get you the clients who comes to who come to you because you can make it all work for them and you'll you'll earn the money on the rest of it if you're the one that can put the pieces together. Excellent advice. Yeah, and I feel like that can help you lead to referrals too of like, you know, you, oh, I want to go to Europe. I worked with Anne and she made it all possible. Here you go. You you got to go with 100%. her. 100%. I mean, that's where my business has come from is is just doing a really good job for someone on a Europe trip. And then they tell their friend, oh my gosh, don't figure this all out yourself. Just call her. She's so good at this. She has, you know, drivers that she works with every day in Italy and and she'll just piece this all together for you. And it's seamless. We love that. We love that. Any other closing advice on Europe travel, even for our consumer listeners or any, anything else, uh, anything you want to plug? How can people get in touch with you or anything, follow you on social medias? Fire away. Um, the advice I'd give to travelers is just plan ahead. You know, we all saw what happened this year with last minute plans getting shut out because everything was so crowded. And I don't expect that Europe will necessarily be so slammed next year. Uh, I mean, I have to think everyone in the world has been to Italy at this point, but you, know, <laughs> you never know. Not me. Uh, so plan ahead for sure. Um, and yeah, anyone that wants to follow me, we are Shared Adventures Travel. Uh, and that's on Facebook, Instagram. We're always at Shared Adventures Travel. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anne. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk travel here. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have on the podcast for this week, everyone. Stay tuned for next week. We've got some exciting content coming up here for August. And later in the month, I will be on location in Jamaica. So exciting stuff ahead. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. 